Travel to Europe is difficult for the time being, but we can still keep the flame of wonderlust alive through the virtual vacation with Guidester. The bi-weekly podcast where host Jack Bauman, founder of Guidester and travel enthusiast Arnold Stricker, dive into new destinations exploring their unique history, culture, and special vibe. You will also get insider tips about these destinations you won't get from other sources. What's it like to be on a river cruise in Europe? Is there something special about the ground in Normandy? What's one of the darkest castles in all of Europe? Joan of Arc, we all know she was burned at the stake. What was the name of that city? These and more questions will be answered on this episode of Virtual Vacation with Guidester. And here's our host, the Guidester himself, Jack Bauman. Hey, Arnold, how you doing? Good, Jack. Jack, I've heard about these river cruises in Europe, and they go from city to city. What do you think they're like? I think generally they're a great way to travel Europe. It's convenient. I think the, the biggest thing you're getting is the convenience. You don't have to pack and unpack hotels, right? You don't have to deal with moving around to different cities. You get to experience a lot of different places without having to pack and unpack. You also get the benefit of the scenery and villages. You get to, the scenery is novel. It's unique. Seeing these places from the riverside is really cool. So overall, I think it's awesome. Your, your meals are taken care of. So your meals are taken care of. Your lodges is taken care of. Your transportation is taken care of. The only downside, as far as I can see it, is you're limited to the schedule that they have. So they have a set schedule that they give you each day and you follow that. You can stay, if you stop in a port city, you could stay there and see that for the day and opt out of the excursion, of course, but you're still, you're moving along each day. But a lot of times that's, you're just going with the crowd. So that's what I would say is the downside to it is you lose a little bit of your autonomy and your freedom. And probably a much different view looking at cities from the river which is a rare view unless you happen to take some kind of river cruise if you land in a city and decide to traverse that way. Yeah, honestly, that's really one of the benefits of the river cruising is is the scenery, especially in Europe. I probably wouldn't do a river cruise in the United States. I might do like one on the Amazon. That would be cool. You, you got That's one of the only ways to see the Amazon is through the river. But I think Europe is unique because it's so old. It's so ancient. You have the benefit of these castles and ruins and villages that needed to be built on a river. So these villages go back thousands of years. Many of them were Roman cities or settlements or legionary camps. The scenery and the towns that you pass through to me is one of the real cool parts of river cruising. What I really want to do is the Rhine. I think something like a hundred castles in a two mile span or something, or maybe it's a seven mile span, but you're just cruising and there's these sections of the river that are just castle and castle and so the Rhine and the Danube I think are a little bit more scenic. Just to let people know there's no swimming pools on these boats there's no rock climbing on these boats it's basically a cabin and probably a restaurant area and you're using that as the transportation between town to town. That's right that's right. Now you just got back from France I can still smell French pastry on your clothing (laughs) and what was that like? It, it was great. The The French food obviously is amazing. The river cruises typically will serve you the dining of the area. So one day we had a taste of Normandy lunch, which was a lot of cheese. It was actually like a pre-lunch. Uh, so it was cheese and meats, sissy salt, which is dried sausage. Sissy salt is like gospel in France. Everybody eats it. Everybody loves it. It's a must-have. And then fromage is just oh, camemberts and, and breeze. The cheese was phenomenal. And then wine, of course. Now, 
Normandy doesn't produce good wines because it's so wet. You need the dry earth, a dry air to make good wine, but you're getting good French wine, Burgundy, and you're getting a Bordeaux and Provence and Loire Valleys. So you're getting a good mixture of the wine, but yeah, the food was incredible. Say delicieux. So did you stop? What were the stops along the way? Yep. Good question. Stops along the way. So I started out in Paris. You can start out, there's river cruises all over Europe, but the one I did was Paris to Normandy and back. So it was a round trip from Paris going up through north, actually. So the River Seine going from Paris to Normandy on the River Seine is flying, is flowing northward, northwestward to, to Le Havre, which is where the Seine estuary is, where it spills out into the English Channel. So I started in Paris, arrive a couple days early, check out the sites, do the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower and Montmartre, Tuileries Gardens and plenty of places. Paris, I have mixed feelings about Paris, I must say. It's, part of me doesn't like it. Part of me does like it. The architecture is beautiful and there are really cute places and the food in Paris is great, is what I'll say. So there's definitely good things about Paris, but I do think it's an overrated city. Yeah, it's, a, it's an international city that has a long historic tenure as being one of the formidable cities in the world. I think it's the most visited city tourist-wise than any city in the world. It's definitely in Europe, and I'm pretty positive it's the most visited city in the world for international travelers. So yeah, it exactly is that. And French used to be the language of the governments of the world. It's now English, of course, but for a, a while it was French. French was the premier language of the aristocrats and of the upper echelon of the academic academies. And so French kind of dominated well into the 18th, 19th century. And then English, thank, thank the Lord, good for us, took over. So it does make it easy because everybody wants to learn English. If you don't know English, you, you're wanting to learn it at some point because it just helps everything, your travels, your resume, your upper movement in, in, in companies in Europe. So it's, that's a nice. We had a good time in Paris when we were there and seeing the sites. It was my first time. It was my wife's second time. And just being able to observe and embrace and take in all of the history and the culture, it, it is a little overwhelming. It it's a little be. culture shock, but that's okay. Where'd that's, you go from Paris then? So from Paris, the first of all, let me say the landscape up the River Seine, a lot of it was limestone cliffs. This is something I wasn't expecting. Normandy is dairy farms. It's rich green, but farmland, slight rolling hills, a lot like Southern England, Northern France, this part of northern France and Normandy looks a lot like southern England, but there there was a lot of limestone cliffs that were around and you're, you were going through so much so that there was a section of it that our, our guide, our cruise director was telling us has its own climate, something really? with the cliffs. There are high limestone cliffs right along the river. So something about the wind and the you're getting the some movement from the river and then also you're getting close enough to the sea to be impacted and then but you're furna, further enough inland so it, it's created its own little micro environment if you will right along the river Seine and it's these houses that are built into the cliffs there's like little garages built into these cliffs wow so it's really neat to see the limestone cliffs along the river Seine as you're coming through coming northward towards the English Channel so the landscape is beautiful but first stop was Conflans Saint which really was it's a neat little town but that's a stop for Auvergne which is where Van Gogh was killed himself and is buried. So that's a cool, so you're getting a Van Gogh stop there of, of, of there and he painted it 
many times. So a lot of his famous, I think it's the, not Starry Night. Starry Night was in Arles in Southern France, but this one was the cornfield, I think it was, in Auvergne. So it's a really neat place to visit. You get to see his grave. He's buried next to his brother, Theo, and you get to see the house that he shot himself. But it's, he called Auvergne-sur-Mer, quote unquote, seriously beautiful. He moved there in, I think, 1890 the spring of 1890. So it's a cool place to visit. And if you're a Van Gogh fan, you get that aspect of it as well. If you're a Van Gogh fan, you need to go. Hey, you need to go. <laughs> oh yeah, there's so many Van Gogh jokes, but obviously, of course, it's, what is it? Gogh, Van Gogh, which is, they couldn't, when he moved at various places, people couldn't pronounce his last name. So he just said, call me Vincent. There so it's go. a fun trivia fact that he called himself Vincent when he introduced himself. And on many of his paintings, you might just see Vincent signed. Yeah. Yeah, since it's a lot easier than Van Gogh. Hey, going back to that climate, that area that has its own climate, do they produce something that's unusual or specific to that region of France that is done nowhere else? Really the cheese. The, to have Norman cheese, you must have Norman cows. So the cliff line, not that I'm aware of, but that area of Normandy is very distinct in its cheese production and you could do it the same way in a different place, but it's you don't have the Norman cows. So it has to do with the climate there and the grass they're eating, I guess. But it's very distinct cheese, and it's amazing. Terrar comes into it again, not only for wine, but for cheese. Yes. Oh, Terrar actually is known for this area. We had Tartar one night, and so it's known in this area as well, probably from the same reason, the cows, the beef. All right, so we've gotten, we're going up the river, we've gone by Vincent's place, and we're still traversing towards the English Channel. We're going north, yeah. For some reason, I don't know why this myth persisted, but do you remember being a child and being told that uh, rivers typically flow southward? Very few rivers, I guess the Nile being the greatest that flows northward. Did, did you ever, were you ever taught that as a child? Yeah, I, I remember something like that, yeah. I have it, I, and I feel like other people feel the same way that rivers flow south. It's really not true. Something like half or forty percent of the world's rivers flow northward. Hmm. So it's a. I, I don't know where this perpetuated or started, but yeah. So anyway, you're, we're flowing northward towards the English Channel. So wrap your mind around that. And but we stopped in Conflans, did a little trip up to Auvergne, which is just north of Conflans. I love the French accents, the French Conflans. If, if when in doubt, just do an all. If you see a word, just say the first couple letters and do an an or an e or an e, something like that, and you'll probably get close, for example. the next Or, you, word, or you is, might get clubbed. Or you might get clubbed, right. Yeah, the French are very particular about their language. That is true. I was a month in Italy just before this trip, and then coming from Italy to France, I will say that's a very distinct difference between the two because the Italians are encouraging in their language appreciation and sharing but the, the french not so much you might say merci beaucoup which q and q like these k, 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 these different pronunciations of this what looks like the same is so slight but one means very or much and one means but so it's like the french are always snickering if you say monsieur sometimes it sounds like you're saying thank you but thank you for your butt or something <laughs> so it's um yeah, I'm getting off topic, but for the next place we're going, it's this is one that I'm not pronouncing correctly, and they're always snickering. It's Rouen, but it's Rouen. It's you have to something with the O and the U or the R and the O is R O U I L E S. No, R O U E N. Rouen. Oh, yeah. Rouen. So Rouen, I think is good, but you're supposed to do some sort of or something like at the beginning. So Rouen. Yeah, I said this to my French friend, and he's oh, it sounds like you're saying Juan. 
Oh, sweet. But uh, Rouen is the ancient capital of Normandy. Richard the Lionheart was crowned Duke of Normandy in Rouen. And it's the place where Joan of Arc, which very famous in European church history, Joan of Arc was tried and burned here at uh, Rouen. Really? Yes. Rouen, Normandy in many ways for many years was English occupied Mm -hmm. directly or English by heritage, which is why Richard Lionheart, King of England, was crowned Duke of Normandy here. So there's a deep connection between Normandy and England. Norman, uh, Normandy, of course, is where William the Conqueror, Guillaume Le Coqueron, came from and became King of England. The How much of the old city is left? And just as a, a double question, and is the spot or semi-location where Joan of Arc was burned, is that has that been located? Yes and yes. Much of the historic center is still there. It's half-timbered houses. Half timbered is basically they needed to save money. Timber was so expensive in this period of time. So they split the logs in half. So when you see the, you see a timber with a lot of plaster, it reminds you of maybe Shakespeare's time. That's a half timbered house. So the half timbered houses are all over the place in this historic center. And then the Gothic cathedral, it's like high Gothic. This, this Gothic cathedral blew my mind. And I've seen some churches. So it's a high Gothic church, you know, looks Quasimodo's dungeon. It's just very medieval looking, really beautiful. And then they do have a little monument to the spot. They know the exact spot where Joan of Arc was burned. So there's a little monument showing you that. Yeah. Yeah. On the River Seine. So that was cool. Moving up from there, we did a little trip inland from the river to Jumiege Abbey. At one point before it was destroyed in the revolution was the most really one of the most important historic monasteries in all of Europe. So if you want to do any research, Jumiege Abbey goes back to the 600s, I think 654 by St. Philip of Philubert. Philubert goes back, literally you're talking 1700 years. That's crazy. It is. And what's crazy, Arnold, is it's in a ruined state, which to me adds to this flavor. It's, it really blows your mind. Imagine the largest Gothic style kind of old norman even pre-gothic norman gothic architectural half ruined so it's just this beautiful place built in the 600s pillaged by the vikings then rebuilt by william longsword rebuilt this monastery on a grander scale in like the 11th century which gave gave it its gothic character but it's this overgrown there's ivy and grass growing through this ruined abbey on not far you can see the the Seine Valley, the river and the Seine Valley and the hills off in the background. It's just really beautiful, special setting. Sound like a great place for some kind of horror flick or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we are in Halloween, which is yesterday. So yeah. It, have you been watching some of those? Is no, it? I'm not a big, I'm not a fan of those movies. No, I hear you. But no, it is. It's something out of a Halloween a horror movie or something out of a Narnia kind of mm-hmm. thing, just mm-hmm. out of this world, magical. But you could go dark with it. Absolutely. I could see it going dark as well. Speaking of Normandy, were you able to get to the Normandy beaches or took an inland trip there to see where the landing occurred? Yes, absolutely. So the place, if you're on a river cruise, to do that is Le Havre. It's a big port city. It, Le Havre was very instrumental in the World War II, actually. And it was totally destroyed. It was bombed hundreds of times, almost completely destroyed. So it's a modern city. It's not a very attractive city. They had to build it quick. So there's a lot of concrete, modern buildings. 
but Le Havre is a base that you'll port in to see Honfleur, which is a really cool historic town, which I'll get to in a minute, and then the Normandy beaches. So that's the whole day. So you'll port there, and then you'll take a bus uh, a couple hours uh, west along the uh, Normandy coast. Okay. So uh, I saw Omaha in gold. Omaha, of course, is probably the most famous one. That's where I, I think that's the actual beach they're depicting in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. So a lot of American casualties. So saw that it's really there's a cemetery there and nine over nine thousand soldiers are buried there that took part in the fight. I think it's ninety nine thousand three hundred eighty seven mm. is what I saw. And so the cemetery is really well done and it's right on the coast. So that's worth seeing. It's it's a somber sight, but it's definitely interesting to see those beaches. I think there's five beaches in total. On this one, I saw Omaha and gold. And the gold is where the British came to land and landed. And they landed in a town called Eromanche. And that's actually the town. Uh, there's one of the cool museums there. And in fact, the museums, people think there's like a Normandy D-Day museum. There really isn't. There's a hundred museums spread out all along the coastline. Hmm. Some of them are very small. Literally, I think there's a hundred or, or so. There's many dozens of them. And some of them are small, some of them are big, some of them are in the middle of nowhere, some of them are in villages. So it, you could make a whole trip out of just seeing the beaches, the villages, the museums, the cemeteries, because of course you have the American cemetery, which is the most famous, then you have other French ones, then you have the German cemetery, which wasn't so popular for a while and was decimated, destroyed over the years, but has been rehabilitated. So it's an interesting yeah, place. We just did a day there. So it's really interesting. And the way they do it, the monuments they put up, what I was going to say about Aeromanche too, is that's the place to buy souvenirs. They thought it would in poor taste to have like souvenir shops at the American Cemetery and on Omaha Beach. So they don't have them there. So Aeromanche is like the town where you go to get your D-Day stuff. I would agree with that. That makes sense. It's more of a sacred area where people have died and or are buried, and it's not a place for souvenir kinds of things. That's exactly right. I think it makes sense. And there's still, and this is 75 years ago, and there's still a very heartfelt, you'll see American flags in some of these areas, British flags. So there's still a lot of appreciation there. One thing I'm going to tell you about this too, not making this up, Arnold, I'm sitting in Aeromanche eating some clip, some crepe, you'd say in U.S. lingo, but it's really crepe or clip. Don't say crepe to a Frenchman. They won't like it. <laughs> so you're having some crepe, and I'm just there waiting for the bus, people to, to load back on to go back to the ship, and all of a sudden I hear my name, Jack, and I turn around. It's my friend from Cardiff, Wales, from school, from college. I was living in Cardiff getting my master's in archaeology, and I knew him there. He was one of the French crew that we partied with, and he was randomly there with his girlfriend visiting from Caen, which is a city uh, in northern France, and just happened to see him there. No way. Yes. How freaky is that? I hadn't seen, I hadn't even kept up with the guy. We were Facebook friends, but haven't spoken to him in nine years. Graduated in 2012. That's the last time I saw him. And just all of a sudden, he said he saw me coming down with some a bunch of people from the cruise ship from this group i was walking down he saw me and i i didn't see him and he came down looking for me and i just he saw me in this little pastry shop <laughs> eating this crepe that's great by the way i did see that on facebook i thought yeah. that was cool yeah, yeah. a little I, side I, note that i'll take out here <laughs> no that's yeah you gotta because your reaction might have been more heartfelt or spontaneous if uh, you didn't already know that so that's cool so after you went to the beaches of Normandy 
and had stayed in that port. Did the ship turn around? It did, yeah. One place I'll mention too, which is right there on the Norman coast, is Honfleur, which is right across the iconic Normandy Bridge from Le Havre. It's really probably the one of the most, it, that was my favorite spot of all the villages and cities we visited. Rouen was very cool, medieval, historic, but Honfleur was smaller, more compact. And the historic harbor, which with its half-timbered medieval houses, was like the, you've seen this, Arnold, and you didn't even know it, the most famous inspiration, probably more than any other French town or village, has been painted on Fleur. So from Van Gogh to Monet, all the impressionist painters of you know the late 19th century, mid and late 19th century, into the 20th, they got they've done at least probably a dozen or two of on Fleur, which is so when you see like a small little historic harbor and you know, the half-tempered house, real tall, skinny, mm-hmm. medieval looking. And it's a little harbor. More than likely, that's on Fleur. Interesting. Very interesting. Very beautiful. And side note, in addition to making it even more interesting, there's an old church, very ancient church, whose ceiling is the hull of a ship. Yes. They just turned a ship upside down and made that the ceiling. Now, it expanded in the middle middle ages, late middle ages, so they needed to have another church so instead of building another church or more space and they couldn't just expand they knocked down the walls and added a second hull a number of years later so it's a two-hulled ship for a ceiling church the only like it in the entire world there's some churches that have a hull for a ceiling very few but some do this is the only one that has a double hull ceiling as a church if it worked the first time why not the second time (laughs) <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. I said, oh, that's nice. But if you're a ship in the shipbuilding, I think it was a difference of 100 years, let's say, but the sh- maybe 50, 50 to 100 years. But the design and ship had it, it changed so much in that time that you can actually notice a difference in the shipbuilding hmm. from one to the other. So it's like different eras frozen in time. Yeah, I thought it was very neat. So on Fleur, yeah. So we turned turned around, just did a skirt and turned this ship around went um, up the River Seine, down it, which again always messes down, I think, south, but you can go down when you're going north. So anyway, and then also, if you, you'll refer to the Seine banks as left bank, right bank. So if you're mm-hmm. headed north, if you're headed down the River Seine where it's flowing, that's left bank, but that's the way you're positioned, and then you've got left bank and right bank. So, so Parisians will talk like that. Oh, the Eiffel Tower is on the left bank and Notre Dame's on the right bank kind of thing. So then after that, headed back down, saw a bunch of new neat places. Vernon is another cool medieval city on the banks of the River Seine, old Norman cathedral. This place was particularly interesting because it had a medieval mill. You see the movies and you watch or you read books about these mills that were over the river. Mm-hmm. This is an intact mill that was built on a medieval bridge that's just still sitting there. And it's an operational mill or no? I don't think it's operational. I No, I don't think it's operational, but it's intact. So you get this, just have this visual of what it would have looked like 500, 600 years ago. That would have been interesting to be able to see that thing in action and let people know exactly how modern it was at the time to do what it was doing. Yeah, it's a good point. In Missouri, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in Missouri, go to Dillard Mill which is a, I think it's 18th century or maybe 19th century rather, but it's a working mill. So it would not have been very different from this 19th century mill built 
right on the river and capturing the flow of the river to make various goods. Hydropower. Hydropower. Yeah, and I went to Dillard Mill, and it's really cool. Just It's very rudimentary, but it's very advanced and sophisticated. The river is moving gears, and the gears are moving other things that are grinding flour and whatever else, and that's what you got. It makes a lot of sense. It's just cool to see it in action. Absolutely. So we moved on there. We're going you know, back to Paris, Vernal, and then outside of Paris, we're seeing that you can see usually as part of these river cruises is a Malmaison which just translates into like bad house, which is the home of Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm. Yeah, very cool. You get to see him. And it's interesting. It's modest by the standards of Versailles, which you definitely got to go to southwest of Paris. That's worth going to take the train or do it as part of the river cruise. But Malmaison is much smaller, much humbler. But you get to learn about Bonaparte and his life and his wife, who was very instrumental in his life and became emperor. So it's interesting to see that. And then the architecture is French, but also very Napoleon. He had some rooms, for example, one room looked like a tent, uh, military tents, and he he had military engagements in in Egypt. So it's a French kind of Middle Eastern Egyptian, (coughs) excuse me, it's a French Middle Eastern Egyptian kind of military style and Greek and Roman. He put a lot of classical styles into his artwork and in the style of the room. So it's really cool to see, learn about Bonaparte, and then the gardens itself are really well done. And then Versailles, of course. My first time to Versailles, and it's as gaudy and giant as you could ever imagine. It's, of course, Louis XIV, his, the Sun King, his great residence, and 2,000 acres, Arnold, and 2,000 rooms. Well, a room for every acre, and the gardens <laughs> are just unbelievable, especially if you can catch it when the fountains are moving. Yeah, they give you a little guide that tell you when the fountains typically go off so you can move around. But wouldn't you say you could spend a whole day easily just in the gardens? Oh, absolutely. And he had so many rooms because his, I'm going to call it the court, needed a place to stay too. So he must have had a big court. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got the the court officials, then you've got their families, and then you've got to have a few mistresses, and then you've got the help and all their goings on so it's just amazing yeah just one one chancellor is five or ten people and then you've got hundreds of them and there you go there's a couple thousand people it, it saves having a, a separate hotel or something for everybody around or they have to have their own place just yeah. s- stay at the uh, stay at versailles yeah come hey come hang out at versailles no problem <laughs> and i love to always I, I i make fun of the french a lot i have a good friend that's french and we poke fun of them but i i do because they love their language. They really think that French is the best language, the best food, the best wine. and It's a romantic language. It's fit. That's absolutely That's very true. So I will say words not even knowing if it's right. And I came out of the Versailles and the local French tour guide said, oh, what did you think? I said, ah, very opulent. How do you say in French? And she looked at me and said, opulence. That was quite funny because uh, I was taking the piss a little bit, taking, and I was spot on. You just, I'm telling you, just add an uh and just a little sophisticated. And it could be right. You got a 50-50 shot. It shows you the linkage between English and French. Exact. Exact them all. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, and English traditionally really is a Germanic root. Right. But it's been exactly infiltrated by French and Italian and Spanish and many other languages. It's and been many, romanticized. It's been romanticized. Thank the Lord, because <laughs> English is, a let's say, a more 
standard plain, if I may use that word, language, when compared to a French or an Italian or a Romance language? I guess if you're speaking of real English or you're speaking of American. I think American English is probably easier to understand than in English. You go to Yorkshire. I'm from Yorkshire. You go to Liverpool, yeah? Like the accent is very thick and hard to understand. And then you go to Scotland, of course. Just forget it. Every other word, you got to... The, the, Anybody going to Scotland or Ireland, for that matter, here's a tip. Focus on the verbs and the nouns and just let your brain piece it together. Don't You can't understand every word they're saying, so you just say a few, get a few nuggets of words, and then your brain will piece it together. I think that's uh, a good strategy with any language that you're not familiar with. If there's some basic verbs, that will help. It does. Well, and a good way in France to get along is parlez-vous anglais. Do you speak English? Most right. of them do. But it's a nice courtesy to, to just, instead of speaking English right away, no French. Let's say merci. Par will make friends and will you'll get better service because it's just a polite. The, the French are a little bit more sophisticated in their language and their mannerisms. They consider themselves maybe a little more formal, let's say, than the Spanish or the Italian. So it, it, a nice little tip that'll help a lot. Jack, some closing words about the river cruise in Europe, especially France. Highly recommend river cruising gets this kind of reputation as being an old person's game, not entirely true. Whatever age, if you can afford it, if it's something you know that's possible, it's a great way to see Europe without having to deal with different hotels. It's a unique way to see it. So river cruising, highly recommend. And France is a good place to do it. I did it on the River Seine, Paris to Normandy. And you get a lot of those bucket list destinations while experiencing beautiful scenery. It, it's, it's a win-win-win for all. Outstanding. That is something we should look forward to doing. We appreciate you listening to this episode of Virtual Vacation with Guidester. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider letting us know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcasts. Reviews are always welcome and encouraged. Virtual Vacation with Guidester is produced by Motif Media Group. For Jack Bauman and Virtual Vacation with Guidester, I'm Arnold Stricker.